You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. If you would join me in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be in the New Testament today in the very beginning of that letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Colossae. And so the people who lived there were Colossians. And we just wrapped up a four-sermon series entitled Stuck, and I love that. I enjoyed it for a few reasons. One, we looked at four Old Testament characters. So that was something a little different to look at those four characters, figures, how God did an incredible thing uh, through their lives. And so that was enjoyable. I think we all can resonate, too, with that idea of being stuck. Uh, We've all been stuck in situations that we didn't want to be in, stuck in situations outside of our control. Uh, Some of you, you, you're right there. You're stuck in a a relationship that feels like it's not moving anywhere. You feel you're stuck in a job that you didn't see yourself in at this stage in your life. You you find yourself stuck in a position uh, and circumstances. And so I think we all can resonate. So I enjoyed it for those two reasons. I thirdly, I enjoyed it because I had so many great conversations uh, with folks after services, between the weeks, uh, about what we were talking about. But there was this common refrain uh, that I heard uh, is, Pastor Dan, I, I, I get what you're saying, and man, I'm there, I'm stuck, and I know that I need to do the right thing like Joseph. I know I need to do the right thing like Ruth did. I know I need to do the right thing like Daniel. I just got to set my heart to do it. But it's, it's tough. It's hard. It just, it stinks, Right? I hope that through those messages, nobody walked away saying, well, I just got to do this, or I just, I just have to do this. Because what I wanted you to see in every one of those scenarios is that they, they stayed faithful, but more than that, their faith in God pulled them through. That's what I want you to see. And so to, to kind of wrap that up before we, we start into a, a new series next week, and I've enjoyed the Old Testament, so we're going to be in Nehemiah, talk about Nehemiah for a couple of weeks starting next Sunday. Before we got to that, I thought this would, we need to kind of make sure that we're, we're clear that it, you don't need to be just more, more determined like Daniel and, and have greater integrity like Joseph and, and just be, be someone who hustles like Ruth and everything's going to work out. No, you've you got to have faith in the God that they had faith in. You've got to trust in the Lord that saved them. And, and I feel like the passage that we're going to look at today just makes that so painstakingly clear. That's the reason I want to look at it. So that you'll see that, that it is God who does this work in us. Before we get there, let me say, I get it. I recognize the struggle is real. That it is hard that it stinks. And when it comes to the marriage problems you're having, the struggle is real. And that's, that's no small thing. When it comes to your financial woes, that's, that's, that's major. It's big. So I don't want to minimize the things that you're facing. I don't want to minimize the adversity that you find yourself in. Now, I don't want you to, to walk away saying, Pastor Daniel, say, hey, you're stuck. Get out. That, that's not helpful, Right? Um, I'm afraid sometimes that, that we, we preach and we teach like someone that's standing on the side of the shore and there's someone out in the water drowning and we're just yelling, swim, swim. Like if they knew how to swim, they'd swim, right? That yelling swim louder doesn't help them. And so I, I, don't, I don't want you to think that I'm saying, hey, hey just, just get to it. I want you to see that I'm saying there's, there's this God that you can grab a hold of. He's got his hand out. You can, you can grab hold of his hand and he's going to pull you through. 
And so uh, that's what I want you to see, that each one of those characters, Joseph, Ruth, Hannah, Daniel, each one of them, they were unstuck because they did what only they could do, but greater than that, God did what only God could do. Only He could do. They were each unstuck because God pulled them through. God brought them out. When I was in, a, when I was in college, uh, there, was this, there was this guy, he was from Mississippi. And so he had an accent like he was from Mississippi. And he had gone to an, an urban school in Mississippi. And so he had all of these phrases that, that went with his Mississippi accent, but they didn't really sound like things you'd say in Mississippi. But if, if, whenever he saw someone that had been up all night studying or writing a paper through the night, he would say, you struggling. Dan, you struggling this morning. And that was his way of saying, like, you don't look great, you know. So whenever Joey said, you struggling, I'm like, oh, thanks, Joey. I appreciate that. First of all, I am struggling. Now you've reminded me of it. In this passage, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm struggling. Now, Paul was someone who walked with God, and God used him to do great and incredible things. But Paul said, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And so this morning, if you're here and you say, I know what i got to do, but it's tough, it's hard, I'm, I'm struggling with it, it's difficult, Paul can identify with you. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 21. Paul says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. God's brought you back together in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Paul just, he just laid out the gospel. He says, you were alienated from God, but God reconciled you back to himself through his body in his death on the cross. He took the sin and the shame that had separated you from God so that you could be brought back together. You're no longer alienated, you're reconciled. You know what it is to have a person that you're on outs with? You had an argument and every time you see them, it's just kind of hanging there in the air. There's that, there's that thing that's come between you. There was something between us and God, but Christ took that down with his death so that we could be reconciled and brought close to God once again. He says, so if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, that good news which you've heard, which I have preached to you, and I'm a minister of. Then in verse 24, he says, who now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages, from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry, mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect 
and Christ Jesus. Paul saying our ministry centers on Jesus. Verse 29 is what I really want us to focus on. So lean in as we lead, read this passage. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. Wherein I labor, striving. Wherein I work, struggling. Paul says here, this is what I struggle for and work towards as God works in me. Paul is writing to the Colossians and he says, this has been my heartbeat. This has been my ministry. This is what I've struggled for. Today, a phrase that's that's commonly used is the struggle is real. And I don't know exactly where it came from, but it's used to express in a common way what I'm going through. It's, It's real. It's not exaggerated. The struggle is real. Now, we live in a world where we exaggerate everything, right? We live in a world where we, we, we only put out the very worst or the very best, nothing really in between, right? If we had a horrible experience, we're going to tell you all of the nitty-gritty details about how bad it was so that you'll feel sorry for us. And then we will take the everyday moments of life and try to make them seem incredible, but when we say the struggle is real, we're saying, hey, this isn't fake. This is the real thing. This is a real struggle. The struggle is real. I think the best photo that I've seen this caption on is a picture of a guy cutting a paper towel roll in half so that he now has two rolls of toilet paper, uh, paper towels. Now, I'm not rich, and I don't have any dreams of owning a yacht or anything like that, but I hope that I always have enough money that I don't have to cut paper towels in the toilet paper right? That would be not fun, right? I'm, I'm going to go preach at a camp uh, tonight and Monday and Tuesday, and I hope that they have decent toilet paper at that camp. The struggle is real, is what he's saying. When Paul writes his passage, he says, the struggle, this is what I struggle for. This is what I labor towards. I labor striving or struggling according to his Work in me. Paul says, I have worked for the mission of God. In verse 29, he has these two words right next to each other, just separated by a comma, labor and striving. And Paul's word to communicate that he works is a work that is tiring. It's a work that leaves him exhausted. It's a work that when you're done, you're just plain tired. How many of you know that there are plenty of people who have a job but don't work? right? Like they go to work, but they don't work, right? Because you work with some of them, right? They're there, and they've clocked in, but they're not working. The word that Paul uses is saying, I'm laboring. Paul wasn't just punching the clock. He wasn't just showing up. He was working. And then there are different types of jobs. There are jobs where you go, and at the end of the day, after you've put in your 8, 10, 12 hours or more, you are exhausted because the work was labor-intensive. Your back feels the work that you did. Now, there's other work where you go, and you're, you're working, and after the end of the day, you're tired, but you were sitting at a desk, and you were designing and making decisions, and you were doing work, but it doesn't have that, that same physical exhaustion. It has more of a mental exhaustion. 
Paul uses this word, he's saying, I'm laboring. It's this physically exhausting, tiring experience of work. He says, I'm laboring. I'm doing back-breaking work. I'm doing the difficult work of ministry. But he not only tells us that he does this work that is labor-intensive and wears on him, he tells them that he does this work that is a struggle. See, Paul struggled in the mission of God. I labor striving or struggling. And the word that Paul uses here, I'm going to tell you the Greek because I think you'll hear it. The Greek word is agonizomai. Can you hear agonize? He agonizes over it. It's not just something that is difficult physically, but it's something that he takes home with him every day. It's something that when he goes home or when he returns to his tent or he starts on his journey the next trip, it wears on him. Paul would write elsewhere that the cares of the church weighed heavy on his heart. Paul is saying, I struggle. There's a labor and there's also this great weight upon me. When I was in college, I worked at a cookie and pretzel making store because that's where I could get a job and work my way through school and try to pay my tuition. You know, when I went home, went back to the dorm at the end of the day, I didn't lay awake at night saying, how are we going to make more pretzels and and how are we going to make more cookies? I didn't take my work home with me. The only thing that I took home from that job was a paycheck and the leftover cookies and pretzels. I wasn't agonizing over that job. It was just a job. And Paul is saying here, this, this is more than a job to me. This is something that I, I'm striving for. This is something I agonize over. This is something that matters to me. He's struggling for it. He's working hard. Paul had taken a personal ownership of what he was doing. This mattered to him. Paul worked hard and he owned the mission. It was personal. It's something that he put his heart and soul into. But even though Paul was working hard and agonizing, even though he was laboring and he had owned it, even though he had worked in the mission of God and struggled in the mission of God, Paul makes something incredibly clear in verse 29. Striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul says... My labor for the mission of God has been enabled by God. That's a really important phrase that he gives us there at the end of 29. Paul uses strong language to talk about his effort in labor and his agony over the mission. He uses strong language to talk about how much he is putting into it and how much he cares about it. But then he uses incredibly strong language to say, but it is God that is doing the work. It is God who is accomplishing the work in me. Paul is saying, I work and I struggle, but the only reason that any of it makes a difference is because God is working in me. Do you see this? Do you get this tension that he has here? God is working in me. God is doing this thing in me. That's the tension. That's the reality. There is this struggle. There is this labor, but God must be the one doing the work. Joseph had to do the right thing when that woman came to him and invited him to sleep with her. He had to do the right thing. But God was the one that brought Joseph before Pharaoh. 
Daniel had to do the right thing and purpose that he would not defile himself, but God was the one that shut the mouths of lions. Ruth was the one that said, I'm going to take care of my mother-in-law. I'm going to take care of my deceased husband's mother. I'm going to go to the fields and work. But it was God who put her in the fields of Boaz. There was work for them to do, but it was God who made the difference and made it effective. There's a reason that the 12 steps of AA start with, we are powerless. There's 12 steps to be taken, but the first one is to admit, you can't do any of it on your own. There's a reason that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the meek or the humble and blessed are the pure in heart. Because there's something that we are called to do, but there is that which only He can do. These individuals that we've talked about and Paul here in Colossians, they worked And they struggled, but it was God that made the difference in their lives. It was God that freed them. God that that got them unstuck. And so if you're you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Dan, I I hear what you're saying. I'm stuck and I just got to keep doing the right thing, but it's hard. I got to keep doing the right thing, but it's so difficult. I got to keep doing the right thing, but it's so frustrating and tiring, and I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. You need to remember that it is God who will do the work for you. It is God who will do the work in you. It is God who will bring it to pass, who will free you. It is Him. The struggle is real, but so is the Lord. And He is with us in the struggle. He is with us in the struggle. And there are two applications that I want you to realize from this. First of all, when we only think about the struggle, if that verse, verse 29, had ended after, I labor and I strive, that would have been a really defeating verse. But it doesn't end there. It ends with, I labor and I strive according to the power which He worketh mightily in me. If if we only think about our labor and our striving and our struggling, and we fail to think on the work that God is doing in us and through us, we will be defeated and we will be frustrated. But when we think about the work that God is doing in us and for us, when we think about the work that God is doing that only He can do for us, we will be victorious and thankful and grateful. When I think about all the work that I've done and the struggle that I've faced and what I've accomplished, I feel tired and weary. I feel that I'm owed something. I don't feel grateful. I don't feel joyful. I don't feel blessed. But when I think about the struggle that Christ has done for me, when I think about His power working in me, when I think about His power working on my behalf, when I think about God doing for me what I could never do for myself, I have gratitude and joy and I recognize that I'm blessed and no longer do I feel tired because I recognize that the Lord's working in me mightily, that it is His strength that is bringing it to pass in me. Do you think that Joseph, after he had been freed from his enslavement and freed from his imprisonment, and he was made 
the second in command of Egypt. Do you think he ever came home from a long day in the palace of making sure that everybody saved enough food and said, I'm just so frustrated. I'm just so tired. I've worked so hard and nobody's helping me. Nobody's working alongside of me. I think maybe he had some days like that, but then he remembered. Not too long ago, I was in prison. Not too long ago, I was a slave. And what I'm doing right now is hard. But if I think about all that God has done for me, it's going to be pretty hard for me to be frustrated. Do you think Ruth, after she married Boaz and they had their first child and they were having to stay up in the middle of the night because the baby wouldn't sleep, Do you think she ever was tired and frustrated and said, I am so frustrated and Boaz is sleeping while I'm up with this baby? Hopefully, maybe she said, you know what? It wasn't too long ago that I was in poverty and I didn't know how I was going to feed myself or my mother-in-law, but God has brought all of this to pass. Now I'm married and I'm cared for and I have a child. You think Daniel ever said, I am so tired of living in Babylon. I wanted to grow up in Jerusalem. I wanted to be near my family and my friends, but here I am, lost all by myself in Babylon, the only one that's doing the right thing. Nobody's helping me. Nobody's encouraging me. Maybe then he thought, but you know what? When I was in that lion's den, I wasn't by myself. God was with me. If we'll think about the ways that the Lord has struggled for us, our struggle seems much smaller. Paul said, I have struggled and I have labored, but it is God's power that works in me. It is God's power that has worked for me. And I know that some of you right now, you feel like you're just stuck and, it, and, and you're trying to do the right thing, but it doesn't feel like you're making any progress and you feel all alone and the struggle is real and it just is hard. But can I tell you that when I look at your life from where I'm standing, I see all the incredible things that God has done for you. All the amazing ways that He has worked on your behalf. And I know that your life may not be exactly what you want it to be right this moment. But let's be honest, some of you, you're lucky to be alive. You're lucky to still have your family. You're lucky to be employed. You're you're lucky that you have anything. God did that. He has worked on our behalf. He has worked in us. So before we get all worked up about how hard we have struggled and how hard it has been for us, let's remember that it is His power that works in us mightily. I think there's also another application that Paul points to in verse 24. In verse 24, Paul says, I take joy in, or I rejoice in my afflictions for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for His body's sake, which is the church. You know what he just said? He said, I take joy. I rejoice in my afflictions. I sing about and rejoice because of my afflictions. Now, Paul is writing this from prison. And he is in prison 
because he's preaching the gospel. Because he's going to towns like Colossae and preaching the message of Jesus' forgiveness. That's the reason he's been put in prison. And he says, I rejoice because of my afflictions. And then he, he, make, he says this phrase that, that is puzzling. He says that that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, that I could fill it up, he says. What's he saying? Anyone who would have seen Christ die on the cross would have been moved. Even one of the Roman guards who was there carrying out his execution said, surely this man was the Son of God. He was moved by what he saw. And if I could take you this moment to the the cross, if I could take you this moment to Calvary and you watch it play out as Jesus is beaten and tortured and bleeds to death, I think that we would all be moved. But I can't do that today. And when Paul went to Colossae, he could not transport them in time and space to see the cross. So there was this suffering that Christ had done, and they couldn't see it. And Paul says, I am able in my body to fill up the afflictions of Christ. Paul is saying, I'm standing in that gap between the suffering that Christ experienced and you. And I am showing you what it means to be afflicted. I'm showing you what it means to face adversity. I'm filling in that gap. Paul isn't saying, I'm adding to the work of the cross. But he's saying, I'm living it out in front of you so that you can see it firsthand. When we come to Christ, why doesn't God just fix everything? Why doesn't he just make it all like we want it to be? Why do we still have to struggle? Why did Joseph have to be a slave and a prisoner before he was in the palace? Why? Because in that struggle, people see the Lord. And in that real struggle, they can see that the Lord is real. Let me illustrate what I'm saying. J. Oswald Sanders told the story uh, about a missionary. He was an indigenous missionary. He was from that, that continent where he was going from village to village. A missionary had told him about the gospel, and he was wandering from place to place in India, telling villages about the gospel. He had no shoes. And so he would walk for miles bare feet on these roads to get to these villages. And he'd walked miles one day to get to this village and he gets there, and he, and he comes into the, the middle of the village, kind of their version of Main Street, and he begins to preach about Jesus dying on the cross, and the people don't want to listen to him, and they throw things at him, and they run him out of town. And he is exhausted, because he has walked, it all, walked all day to be at this village, and now they have rejected him. So he finds a tree on the edge of the village, And he lays down underneath that tree and takes a nap in the shade, exhausted and rejected. And when he wakes up, he wakes up to a large group of people standing there staring at him. Because when he was laying under that tree, as people were coming and going in the town, they noticed just how blistered and bloody his feet were. And someone had said, if he would walk that far in bare feet, we ought to listen to him. What he has to say must mean something. 
And so they listened as he shared the gospel with them. There is, there is truth in the logical arguments about the existence of God. And there is worth in the historical facts of Jesus' life and crucifixion and resurrection. But you know what is incredibly convincing? To see someone in the midst of great struggle who trusts Christ in the midst of that difficulty. That is compelling. That is convincing. There's worth in those other things. But when I watch you and the the circumstances that you're in and the difficulty that you're facing and the adversity that you are up against, trust Christ and find Him to be very near and real and helpful. That's compelling. And Paul says, there are some that they were not convinced, but because of my affliction, they are convinced. Because I'm willing to go to prison to preach this message, that's convincing. Because I have stayed faithful and true in the midst of this adversity, that's convincing. And friend, it may be that God wishes to give purpose to your struggle and your adversity by being very real and present right in the middle of that struggle. Because everyone can see that the struggle is real. And just as real as the struggle is God right there with you, empowering you, leading you through it. You know, there are TV, there are ministries that are on TV, and everything that they portray looks so fabulous and wonderful. And I don't find it convincing at all. But when I see a single mother who is striving to raise her children to love God and making it from week to week, month to month. Finding the Lord to be very real, I find that very convincing. When I see dear old saints who face great adversity and difficulty in their last years remain faithful and true to the Lord that has brought them through every obstacle up to this point, I find that incredibly convincing. And just as in the case of Joseph and Hannah and Ruth and Daniel, God proves himself real in the midst of our struggle. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.